Warning to any listeners, this episode will include descriptions that some people may find distressing. It was just before four in the afternoon on April the 3rd, 2010, when 38-year-old John Madden picked up the phone and dialed 999. Calmly, he told the emergency services operator that he wanted to report a murder. He gave his name and address, and when asked what had happened, he said, my niece has been murdered by me, adding... I've just finished killing her now. This is the unbelievable story of how a man obsessed with violent child porn videos lured his 12-year-old niece to his house where he proceeded to drug torture and eventually murder her, acting out his most vile and perverted fantasies on the innocent girl. Welcome to episode three of Unbelievable, a true crime podcast where each week I'll be taking you through the stories of some of the most disturbing crimes committed in the UK. They are often horrific, sometimes baffling, but always unbelievable. To explain each case, I'll be using reports from the police, the media, the trials and statements from family, friends and those involved. It's important to note here that these stories are 100% true. At 12 years old, Tia Rigg was a pretty, freckle-faced and bubbly young girl who loved football and her team Manchester United. She lived in Salford in Manchester with her mum Lynn and her siblings. And although there was sometimes trouble at home related to her mum's substance abuse issues, to the outside world, she seemed normal and happy. Then, on the 3rd of April, 2010, Tia was invited around her uncle's house to babysit her cousin. John Madden had called his sister at 2.17pm that day to arrange the visit, explaining how he needed Tia to look after his 10-year-old daughter. It was on this pretext that Tia went over to his house in Dalmain Close in Cheatham Hill, Manchester, arriving just before 3pm. Man United was playing Chelsea that afternoon, and Tia had been planning on catching some of the game on TV with her uncle. But while Man U lost 2-1 to Chelsea. Tia was being put through unimaginable horrors and pain at the hands of her uncle. By 3.45pm, Tia was dead and Madden had already called the police. Before emergency services could get to the scene, family members of Tia's, including her grandmother, aunt and mother, had run into the house. Neighbours saw Tia's mum coming out of the house, sobbing hysterically and crying out, asking, Why? Why? Tia's auntie and gran staggered out of the house after her in floods of tears. Officers got to the scene shortly after, where they found Tia's blood-soaked body in an upstairs bedroom of the property. They arrested Madden, 
and he was charged with her murder two days later on April the 5th. Police told the public they believed Tia had died from ligature strangulation and abdominal injuries. But it would not be until Madden's trial that the horrific truth about the brutal and extensive injuries she suffered would be revealed. Many who knew Tia were in absolute shock about how she'd come about her death. While her parents were too distraught to talk to the press, a friend of Lynn's, Leslie Pierce, said, Tia was such a beautiful little angel, so polite and the eldest of four. She really looked after her two brothers and sister. She went on to say how Tia's death made no sense at all. Neighbours spoke of Tia with affection, with people describing her as a bright girl who always seemed so happy. Others said she was seen at the nearby corner shop shortly before her death. A resident of the road, John Fisher, said, Tia was smashing. This is a rough estate and not the sort of place to raise a child, to be honest, he said. There are always police around here and lots of drugs. It makes people crazy. Tia's death sent shockwaves through the local community. Graffiti showing Tia's name was left on the wall next to the door of her mother's home and a source at Manchester United said players had been really shaken by the death. A floral shrine was set up at the house where she was found, and by the day after her murder, hundreds of mourners had joined a Facebook site set up in her memory. Members growing to over 5,000 over the next week. One online tribute said, Tia, you are in God's care now, sleeping with the angels. You have joined the welcoming family of angels. God bless you, little one. Night, night. Tia's head teacher of Albion High School, Steve Aveyard, told journalists what he knew of Tia, saying she was a young girl with her whole life ahead of her. She had the hopes and dreams of any young person, he said. We are devastated to think that these cannot now come to fruition. Our hearts go out to Tia's family and loved ones. Detective Superintendent Mary Doyle of Greater Manchester Police briefed the press and said, Tia was a happy, normal, healthy 12-year-old girl. She had friends and socialised normally. She was in the flush of youth. She called her death an absolute tragedy. John Madden first appeared at Manchester Crown Court, charged with Tia's murder, on the 8th of April, with the date of his next appearance being set for some time in June. The same day, while Manchester was still reeling from the news of Tia's death, her mother Lynn went missing from her home in Higher Broughton. She had taken some of Tia's belongings with her and left a note which read, I want to be with Tia. An officer said they were extremely worried for her welfare, believing she could be at risk of taking her own life. Police released details about the mum's appearance, describing her as a mixed-race woman, about five foot seven inches tall, of medium build, with long black hair. She had been last seen wearing a black tracksuit and a grey t-shirt, and was carrying a pink bag. Thankfully, the day after she disappeared, Lynn was found safe and well at her friend's house. But the family's relief would be short-lived, with the horrors of Tia's murder yet to be discussed in Madden's trial, when the extent of his sickening attack would be brought to light. On October the 4th, 2010, the murder trial of John Madden began at Manchester Crown Court. He had pleaded guilty to killing his niece, so no jury was needed to determine a verdict, and the prosecution and defence teams set about laying out their case and evidence before the judge. 
During the hearing, the court was told how Madden had given his family no reason to suspect the evil that lurked within him. The unemployed warehouse worker seemed like a caring member of the family, regularly attending gatherings at the home of his mother Sheila Rigg, Tia's grandmother. He is said to have seen Tia often and was trusted to spend time alone with her. Tia had even gone round his the day before she died to see a puppy he had. No one knew about the grotesque videos he'd been watching and collecting on his home computer and mobile phone. Videos which contained extreme child pornography and snuff films. Videos which claimed to show actual homicides. Madden had a criminal record, including burglary and threatening behaviour. But all of his prior offences were committed 20 years before he decided to kill Tia. He had no known history of sex crimes and had only begun amassing the videos a year earlier. Prosecutors revealed how in July 2009, seven months before he murdered Tia, he had downloaded extracts from a book that graphically describes methods of torturing and murdering children in a series of stories. He then went on to accumulate what was said to be an enormous pile of material on CD-ROMs and DVDs which contained around 2,000 images of the worst level of child porn. These were found in Madden's bedroom. It was then on that day in April that Madden decided to use the knowledge of depravity he had gained to inflict the worst kind of crimes on his own niece. After his appalling crimes, he phoned the police himself and was described on the call as being chillingly calm. The transcript of the call was read out in court. It begins with Madden, saying, Hi, I would like to report a murder. When asked where it happened, he says, Dalmain Close. He's asked for the area, and he replies, Cheatham Hill. He gives his name as John Nigel Madden, and then is asked by the operator to tell them what happened. Madden says, My niece has been murdered by me. The operator says, when has this happened? Madden replies, I've just finished killing her now. Why have you done that? The operator asks. Because I felt like it, Madden says. He was then asked for the name of his victim and he says Tia Rigg and wrongly gives her age as 11. The call was then terminated but then reconnected and the operator asks for more details. Madden says, I'm quite sure the officers that come to the house will be able to take all the details you need. The operator says, how has it happened? Madden says, I've used a knife and strangulation and that's it. Bye. And he terminates the call. Officers raced to the property and got there two minutes later. In court, officers described the appalling scene they found. DCI David Warren spoke about the effect on those in the force who attended the home. Yeah, it's been it's been awful for the you know for the officers involved. Uh, very difficult, you know. I mean, I attended the scene on the day. I was there within half an hour of the phone uh, phone call coming in. You know, I went into the address and uh, found Tia upstairs. You know, it was an absolutely awful sight. And then to come downstairs you know, afterwards, then I was there. Another who attended the scene. You know, and she started asking questions of me as to where Tia was. Uh, and, you know, wanted answers, and then, you know, eventually when the news was broken to her, you can imagine how it was received, um, and, you know, it's been very active on myself and officers who got to work in the 
was a very traumatic, uh, but we've, you know, we've worked through it, we've supported the family, uh, and we've got just, uh, some justice for the family today. As the horrific details of what the police found and Tia's injuries were described in court, Tia's family could be heard sobbing quietly in the public gallery. In the upstairs bedroom of the property, Tia's body was found naked apart from her socks. She was lying face up and her body was bloodied and lifeless. Her hands had been tied behind her back with shoelaces and surrounding her body lay two knives, a broom handle and a sex toy. A post-mortem examination revealed she had been stabbed in the abdomen and had suffered severe internal injuries, some of which had been inflicted while she was still alive. Her injuries led to severe blood loss, but the predominant cause of death was strangulation by a ligature, which had been fashioned out of a guitar string. Toxicology tests revealed the antipsychotic drug, olanzapine, prescribed to Madame by his doctor, was present in her blood. Olanzapine would have acted as a sedative, and it is believed Madden administered the drug to Tia as soon as she got to the house. She was then tortured and raped before being stabbed in the stomach and finally strangled. Opening the case, Prosecutor Gordon Cole, QC, said, In general terms, this murder was premeditated. It was murder purely for his sexual gratification. It had a sexual motive. The facts reveal clearly features of torture, rape, physical abuse, and the ultimate murder of a child. In the year or so prior to April this year, the defendant had developed what can properly be described as an obsessive interest in images and literature relating to paedophilia, rape, and torture. He had an extensive library of such materials, which included literature dealing with methods of killing. Madden, who is dressed in a black shirt, paisley tie, and green jacket, and carrying an A4 folder, sat passively in the dock as details of the injuries he inflicted on his niece were read out in court. Members of Tia's family sat in the public gallery, just yards away from him. It was said that after his arrest, Madden had claimed he'd been listening to a bad voice in his head, controlling him and telling him what to do. That was his only claim at defence in court. However, it was dismissed by the judge. Sentencing Madden to life in prison, the judge, Mr Justice Keith, said he would never be released. He said, It is inescapable that Tia Rigg died because you decided to realise your fantasies about torturing and killing a young child. The fact that you chose your 12-year-old niece, who had put her trust in you, makes what you did all the more unspeakable. As was the fact that all of this was planned by you, and you lured her into your home by pretending you wanted her to babysit for you. It is difficult to know how long Tia's ordeal lasted, he said. The terror, the unimaginable pain you inflicted on her, the indignities you subjected her to while still alive. This was a horrific crime in which a young girl who had everything to live for and had placed her trust in you was unveiled into your lair. It was planned, it was premeditated, and her agony must have been prolonged. This is one of those exceptional cases in which the only just punishment requires you to be imprisoned for the rest of your life.
Following the sentencing, Tia's mother Lynn released a harrowing statement through the police. In it, she said her heart was broken and would never mend. She said, When this nightmare happened, it killed me inside. All that is left is a big empty hole. For me, this nightmare will never end. But now justice has been done. At least Tia can rest in peace. Outside the court, DCI Warren spoke to reporters and said that Madden now had a long time to reflect on what he had done. Following Tia's death, a serious case review into Salford Social Services dealing with the young girl was undertaken. The independent inquiry found that Tia was failed by the Child Protection Services. However, it was said that her murder was not predictable or preventable. It noted that the agency was not aware of Madden. The 12-year-old had been known to social services, having been placed on the Child Protection Register before she was born. She had been subject of a child protection plan put in place by a number of local councils, including Salford, where she lived before her death. Tia's mum, Lynn Ahmed, had a long history of offending and drug abuse. In 1998, child protection agencies said she was likely to suffer neglect. This was later changed to likely to suffer physical abuse. The report that was eventually published on Tia's involvement with the Child Protection Services said that they could have prevented what was described as ongoing harm to Tia due to poor care from her mother. The long list of failings included social services having an over-optimistic and unrealistic perception of Tia's mother's capacity to care for her children. Allowing the children to remain with her mother 18 months before Tia's death, despite domestic violence and suicide attempts, was also considered a failing. There were seven separate incidents between October 2009 and March 2010 where agencies should have intervened but failed to do so. Numerous examples were found of where information should have been shared between agencies and wasn't. There was a failure to appreciate the growing chaos within the family, it said. Ultimately, it says legal proceedings should have been considered to safeguard Tia and her siblings, and that information about Tia's mother was not properly analysed to give an understanding of the risks to her children. Removing Tia and her siblings from her mother's care should have been very seriously considered, it said. What is clear is that Lynn was still taking drugs and there were issues of violence in the family. Tia was often left to care for her younger siblings, something that was never considered by the agencies. In response to the damning report, leader of Salford Council John Mary said that no one could have predicted what had happened to Tia when she visited her uncle that day. More could have been done during her childhood to support her in coping with her unstable home life. He added, Even if this child had been removed from her home, she would have not been prevented from having contact with her family, as there was no indication she was at risk from her uncle, and therefore no reason to stop her having access to him and other members of the extended family. Removing her from her home would therefore not have prevented her death. He said the authority had taken the review's recommendations very seriously and accepted that agencies had a lot of work to do in order to improve services 
in place to protect the lives of children and young people. Tia's funeral took place on the 28th of April 2010 and her family decided they wanted the occasion to honour her bubbly personality. Everyone was to wear pink, Tia's favourite colour, including the men who were asked to wear pink ties. While 12 pink balloons were released at her graveside to mark each year of her short life. The service was held at St. James's Church on Great Cheatham Street East at 11am and was followed by a private family burial at Southern Cemetery in Chalton. Tia's small pink coffin, enclosed in glass, arrived at the church by horse-drawn carriage with the horses wearing plumes of pink feathers. During the service, the mourners sang the hymns Great is thy faithfulness and Lord is my shepherd. Reverend Simon Cook paid tribute to the schoolgirl, saying her young life ended too soon. The pain of losing Tia is very raw and very real, he added. Above all else, Tia's heart was for her family, especially her brothers and sisters, who she loved to look after, but also her cousins, her aunts, her uncles and her grandparents. She was full of energy, full of life. She was a happy girl, strong-willed and free-spirited, and a bubbly personality, he said. Flowers spelling out her name, the word sister, and her nickname Teapot, which another uncle had called her from the age of three, were taken to the grave. Many questions still remain about Tia's death. While it is true Madden had developed a perverted fixation on extreme pornography and violent films, it does not truly explain why he chose to carry out those acts and why he targeted his niece. Some events in the days before Tia's death hint that he was perhaps losing his grip on normality. He boasted to two students he'd met that he was a writer with a particular interest in rape. Yet the only evidence of any writing was a handful of scribbled notes found at his home. But those scribblings showed no hint of murderous intent. And his silence and apparent lack of remorse has left the force and Tia's community to go on questioning why he did what he did. Well, John Maiden presented himself as uh, a stable individual. He'd been married, he had his own daughter. You know, he'd worked in, uh, he'd worked in cheating malaria for virtually all of his life. Clearly, while he was presenting that, he was, uh, you know, researching on the internet in relation to paedophilia images and how to murder young children. In an interview, DCI Warren asked, Why has he done this? Why take the leap from looking at this material and going on to carry out the act within a year? Why Tia? All those questions remain unanswered. Thank you for listening to another episode of Unbelievable. Please take a second to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, share with your friends and follow us on social media. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Bronwyn Weatherby. Goodbye.